0: You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a Final Fantasy 13 series game club podcast. This is episode two, covering chapters two and three. I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... Matt Marcus. Graham Markison. And John Dickendasher. Uh, last time, we left off with the end of chapter one, and according to our data log, the last events from our data log say... For centuries, a pulse falci has slumbered, undisturbed on the outskirts of a cocoon city. On the day, the lower world entity is finally discovered and the government judges the city's inhabitants to have been tainted by their unwelcome guest. And instead of exile, they were led to expect the civilians faced extermination at the hands of the Sanctum Army. Lightning cuts her way through this battlefield, doggedly followed by the desperate Saz. Snow, meanwhile, seeks to rescue his fiancée. And a boy spurred on by dreams of revenge pursues snow with the help of an unusual young lady. Though driven by their separate goals, their paths all lead to the same end, the pulse foul sea.
1: When Vanille and Hope arrive at the Pulse Vestige, Vanille finds a weapon. For being a wimp, Hope isn't slow to prepare for battle when a Pantherin arrives. Now, something that you should note is that unlike every other character you've gotten so far, Vanille has 3 AP, whereas Lightning and everyone else, they've only had 2. Also, it should be noted that like Vanille uses whips for her weapons. Her, the weapon she gets at the first looks like a a staff with stags' horns on the end and she kind of casts it like a fishing rod it's really weird she just
0: found it somewhere in the vestige apparently never seen it before looks very complicated to use but very competent it is incredibly bizarre
2: there might be an explanation for that oh i should be familiar with it fucking spoiler mad up in here i'm just saying it, yeah at the moment it's it's weird because it's just hiding around a uh, like a
1: corner. Yeah, it's just hiding behind like a stone statue. I mean, I can imagine that if they crash land in another part of the section, she'd find another kind of weapon. She'd be using that in the whole game. But anyway, Hope says that Pulse is hell on earth, which, you know, reinforces the the idea that people are being sent there they don't want to be sent there
2: but also, what is Earth?
1: Like, yeah. how does he know what Earth is? Yeah, good point. <laughs> like, that's why I,
2: I put that in the notes, because it's it's just very strange to hear that. Well, the writing sounds very weird when you phrase
3: it as Hell is... Hell pulse on pulse. On
1: pulse. <laughs> uh, well. Anyway, after the Pantheon fight, you gain access to B&W Elfreder's, uh shops... You know, uh, every once in a while, especially early in the game, you're going to get like these items, these key items that allow access to certain shops, BW Outfitters. I don't know. I think they're a pretty generic accessory shop.
3: And at this point, its inventory isn't very useful, considering the game is absolutely littered with iron bangles, and that's pretty much all it sells that's so worth anything.
2: I've found that the shops that have like accessories usually, you'll fi- yeah, you'll find one of them in the level, So like probably usually not a good idea to to pony up the money for one as soon as it arrives in a shop. Yeah, shops are good for nothing basically until you can buy uh upgrade materials. Mhm. The thing about money in this game is you don't earn it from battles per se. You find it in the item balls and you also get it from selling you know weapons or accessories or uh components. You you've been collecting these things from battle called components and you don't really have a purpose for them right now, but you can sell them for money. Some are meant
1: to be sold for money. They have no other use. And like later on, we're going to talk about the use of components. But for now, they're just right. items that you have in the inventory. Right. If you're
2: short of a, of a Phoenix Down you want, you could sell a couple components and be fine.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And at this point in the game, you probably have earned a couple credit chips from battle this point the game offers you a shrouds tutorial uh, shrouds are items that you trigger during exploration mode and last for a short duration of time uh, each one creates certain effects that carry over into battles and you can have multiple shrouds on at the same time and there are four shrouds deceptisol fortisol igisol and ethersol the deceptisol uh, lowers aggro range of enemies makes it easier to sneak by or i believe it's a hundred percent success rate at triggering a preemptive strike. I'm almost sure of it. I think it's impossible to get like spotted because uh later on I used one and just walked up face first into a group of dudes and they definitely did not notice even though they were all looking right at me. We haven't talked about preemptive strike we'll get there. But that's very useful. Uh Fortisol, uh, you start the battle with bravery, which is attack up, faith, which is magic up, and haste on all party members. I just saw is the same thing as Fortisol, but for defense, you start off with protect and shell, which is physical and magic defense. Veil, which is increased resistance to status ailments, Uh, it increases your resistance by 50%, and Vigilance, which is higher success rate on skills, lower chance of interruption by enemies, Uh, and that applies to all party members. And Aethersol completely recovers your TP gauge, we will not talk about TP until a little later, but note that that's a thing.
0: After this tutorial, you get a tutorial on uh, we go through the area a little bit and we get a bunch of goofy cube robots with like little like holographic halos around them and we get a preemptive strike tutorial with them. They are the Zwerg Scandroids and it basically tells you about preemptive striking. If you get a preemptive strike, it sets every enemy's chain gauge to uh, 100% and you just have to hit them a little to tip, not 100%, but to the max of the meter and the next hit, that you do from a Ravager, actually, notably later on commandos. It takes a couple of hits from them. will push them over the top and you'll start with all of your enemies staggered. It is very good against enemies that are hard to stagger or take very little damage uh, when not staggered. So moving on with the actual plot, Snow Hope, Vanille, Lightning and Saz are all heading towards the False Pal C. We see our first sighting of the Seath, who are the sea that failed their focus. They are very uh, Japanese Korean horror style. They're very jerky in a like very sped up, twitchy. It's a little off putting actually. They're very gangly too. It's presumed, and the characters basically say as much that the uh, Seif here are Sanctum soldiers that got trapped inside. Lightning tells says that her sister is in the Vestige, and there's a red glowing force field with a symbol on it, and Lightning opens it by. Uh, Submitting to the wishes of the foul Sea, she says that this is my fault and begs it, says, please let me in. Hope, Vanille, and Snow run into each other. uh, Separately, Hope calls Snow insane, especially for, quote, helping the enemy. He still does not bring up his mother for reasons. Uh, It's made clear that people hate the sea and fear them. And uh, it is apparently common knowledge among Cocoon citizens that being a lazie is hell.
1: The crew meets up and finds Sarah passed out lying on the floor near the Fowl Seas room. She tells the crew to save Cocoon, then turns into crystal. Snow is given a tear-shaped crystal called Sarah's Tear. I think that's an item, like a key item. Yep. The te- the seeth enemies nearby they drop tears as well. They have great names. They're like Tears of Frustration, I think they're called.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah, those items.
2: There's one interface thing I want to mention with this because we're talking about uh, Sarah's tier. Like whenever you get a new thing in your inventory or in your data log or what have you, uh, when oh, you go God. to open the menu, you have a little like icon flashing at you that says, hey, you have a new thing in here. And it's super, super irritating because it just it updates all the time. Yeah, no, If if I have... <laughs> Thirty tears of frustration, and I
0: get my thirty first. It's highlighted again. It does not give a notification for new items as a category, but new items as a single item. Right. So your
2: inventory is yeah.
0: always flashing, and it it's so
2: annoying. And I, I, I always have to clear it out because I'm. It just drives me crazy. Uh, and like since Sarah's tier is a, a key item, even if you're snow, you have Sarah's tier, and then you switch to a party that doesn't have snow, and then you switch back to snow it'll still re-highlight Sarah's tier because it's new to your inventory from the last round. <laughs> so it's not even a new <laughs> item. It doesn't have a new description, nothing, but it's still fresh again in your inventory and they label it. So like, I just figured it was worth mentioning there.
1: Yeah. Snow mentions that the legends say the see who achieve their focus turn into Crystal and gain eternal life. Therefore, Sarah is alive. Which is kind of weird because like Sarah being frozen in time inside Crystal is not what I'd call alive, lightning punches Snow in the face, take a drink, because Sarah (laughs) is essentially dead. She says something like, open your eyes and face reality. Snow is the only one that doesn't seem to understand what being a lassie, being Crystal, really means. Many characters talk about turning to Crystal like they're reciting poetry or something, but when they see the reality of what being Crystal is, Everyone except Snow is very in tune of with how horrifying Falsy are and how awful it must be to be LSC. Which,
3: most of Snow's reaction kind of lead me to believe that he is in a full state of denial um, trying to play up the hero card.
1: Maybe. That, actually, that could be possible.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that makes that makes a sense.
3: Yeah, Snow's whole thing is never
0: giving up, no matter how dumb the situation is and how ridiculous his actions, as a result, are like coming up in chapter three. It's really over the top.
3: Yeah, I do just have uh, a one note from chapter one that just says, "No, he's just effing Kamina from Lagann. Not even
1: here will you find your kind, John. Mm, no, uh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that show, but I know the context. I, yeah, uh, know he's about just
3: it. purely. I'm the hero. Let's be heroes. It's hero time. Um, so at this point, Psychom uh, attempts to destroy the vestige using these large harpoon-like missiles, assuming, uh, seemingly, to tear it apart. And uh, Lightning and Snow see this are a bit rattled, but continue on to face the Falsi Anima. Zaz follows and mentions uh, the name Daj, uh, presumably someone from his past. Uh, he also uh, decides to distance himself from the idea of the fallacy being any sort of sentient being by calling it it. And we get the first look of the anima here.
1: Yeah, anima's design is complicated and hard to look at, but like that might be the point. It's a faceless god-machine creature. It shouldn't look human. It's really
2: hard to describe these things. Uh, yeah, I, I keep trying to think... Well, it's, it's kind of like a machine, but it's kind of like a monster. But it's... It looks like a reactor, basically. Yeah, you yeah have, it's like, got like turbo turbines for arms. Yeah, you have like the main body definitely looks
0: like a furnace, and then you have the turbine arms. It definitely just looks like a reactor.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. the enemy design in this game in particular is very just Magitek-infused uh, past Final Fantasy based. So as they uh, approach the Falsi, he, Snow... Um, reaches a point of bartering with the Falcy, asking to become a Lissy uh, in order to save Sarah. Um, Meanwhile, Lightning just runs up from behind and starts whacking it with her sword. Well,
0: that's because Snow is overly performative about everything, and Lightning just wants to
3: get the thing done, whatever she thinks the best thing to do is. Which the best thing to do is normally smacking it. Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, And as a result of this attack, we go into our uh, first actual boss battle, with anima it has uh two turbines that move independently kind of like if if it like a giant turbine robot rayman uh they they basically are the primary source of damage they are pretty easy to take down they re, but they do regenerate fairly quickly like every 20 seconds or so uh during the second phase of the fight the arms spam aoe magic attacks that do a lot of damage uh not surpri- surprisingly pretty easy for your party considering it's here's a bunch of dudes with swords and guns and we're like smacking giant turbines around. After the battle, the party winds up in a featureless void being grabbed by energy tentacles coming from Anima and uh, all of your party members are branded. And as a part of the cutscene, you get some grainy black and white footage of a creature that flashes through and the chapter comes to an end. And we move on to the new area, Chapter 3, taking place at Lake Brescia.
2: So at the beginning of Chapter 3, there is a flashback. We haven't mentioned this before, but all of this in the data log is is labeled Day 13, uh, because Final Fantasy 13. But we do a flashback here to Day 11 in Bodom. There's fireworks going on. There's a lot of people around. Snow goes up to a bar where LeBron is serving people. And uh, he asks her where Sarah is. LeBron tells him she's at the usual place. And after he leaves, we see a sly glimpse at a future party member. She says she's looking for someone and is drinking a fruity looking cocktail. Yeah. That cocktail looks gross.
1: It looks <laughs> like it has
0: a hot dog in it. I think it looks like... Here's some tonic water with hot dog juice in it.
2: <laughs> I think it looks kind of like a,
1: like a delicious
2: fruity flower. Oh, okay. Like, I thought it was, uh, yeah, like a Cosmo with, like, a cherry in it or something. I don't know. But future future Final Fantasy cherry. Future
0: cherries.
2: <laughs> Ugh.
1: You're uh, just, like, carrying around, like, two bottles that look kind of delicious or, like, a green glass and red
2: bottle. Wasn't 13 the one where Square made uh, potions, like, actual drinks? Yeah.
1: I think they've done that a couple times, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so the future party member is, like, a kind of foreshadowing. It just doesn't feel very, it's very blunt. It's like, oh, who's this person? Are we gonna figure out who she is next? It's very strange. They don't even show her face really. Yeah, well, we're supposed to be impressed when later
0: on we meet our party members, all of them, and realize, oh, they've all been in each other's cutscenes, but no one's impressed because that's the way this you tell a
3: story. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that
1: explains it perfectly.
3: Also at a point with this party member where she doesn't do anything in particular to build a sense of mystery outside of just her face is not shown. Mm. There's no action to build towards a character. Mm-hmm. You don't think drinking beverages is mysterious? She doesn't even drink the
0: beverage. <laughs> no, she stands she in front of it <laughs> is like, where's oh, my true. boy
1: Snow? That's true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, Snow catches up with Sarah and proposes marriage to her with these hair necklaces. Sarah accepts and in the middle of the conversation Sarah uh, reveals that she's already a Lassie, and her, her main concern is not telling Lightning that she's going to be married to Snow, which I would find very concerning, but that she's a Lassie. Snow's response is, say, don't worry, I'll fix it, and he asks her what her focus is because he wants to help her achieve it, but she doesn't know what it is. But at this point, they take a romantic ride on a hover bike. As I mentioned before, there are fireworks going on, like a Fourth of July thing, but the fireworks are going off in what looks like a force field bubble. It looks like the, uh, the water sport arena from uh, Final Fantasy
0: X yeah. Blitzball Arena. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or uh, the, uh, the Phantom Menace, those little bubble things, bubble shields. I'm glad you said the Phantom Menace because now I feel less gross about having said the water sport <laughs>
2: arena. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Ugh>.
2: <laughs> anyway, yeah, so they're, they're, they're riding through this and like they almost get blown up and they really, they really should be deaf because explosions are happening like right next to them. They are so calm about how they almost got blown up. It is out of control how much they don't care about that. And you think, like, like thousands of people are seeing this happen. <laughs>
3: yeah, including several Psycom soldiers, which I would be worried about who the fuck is riding a hoverbike through...
1: Yeah, it should be a no-fly zone right now. Alright, so it should be said that, like, during this cutscene, the main theme is playing, that mainly motif. And... Even though that main lay motif is overused in the game, I really like this scene because uh, it's, it's pretty beautiful. There's this one shot where Sarah and Snow are kissing with the fireworks in the background and it looks really, really stunning.
0: It at least doesn't look gross like every other time video games characters kiss in a video game because they had the good sense to put the lips off screen so you can't tell it's like two Barbie dolls rubbing <laughs> together.
3: You can't see the clipping of lips, but it's
2: also a very well put together scene with the bubble and fireworks in the background playing off. Yeah, it's very well directed. Then we cut back to the present day, which is the 13th day. After Anima died, the vestige fell from the suspended wires because you know these helicopters, these giant ships, are carrying uh, the vestige along. And when Anima died, I think the vestige just like, screams and breaks free of the cables and lands in some water. And what we find out later is Lake Brescia. And it turns everything around it into crystal. I find this effect really good, and I think this level looks very good with these uh, crystal effects. You know, because there are you know waves that are going up and down, and there are things that get caught in the waves. One of the motifs you see here are chains. This, I believe, is a, a reference to Anima's appearance in Final Fantasy X. Anima was a-, a summon that you know it's it's bound together and it's grabbed up out of like a nether region by by a giant anchor. And it's, it's, it's really metal as hell. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I like that the, the chains came back for, for that reference, because otherwise Anima doesn't look anything like the other Anima. The party wakes up on the frozen water and discovers that they are all branded as Lassie. The way this works is the brand advances and grows larger over time. It's essentially the ticking clock before taking the train to Seath Town. I want to note that I wrote that as a joke, and then later on, Saz actually says Seath Town. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so eh, that's funny. So the design of the actual um, brand, it's it's all black. It's got a lot of arrows pointing in different directions. And it looks very similar to the red force field door in the vestige that Lightning got taken down because she submitted to the fallacy's wishes or, or what have you. And, of course, Vanille's brand is really up high on her hip and she has to hike up her skirt a little bit to show it off and it's a little fan servicey. She's that character? <laughs> yeah you know it's funny because like all three of the women are are wearing you know skirt-like apparati but generally speaking the designs aren't too bad but like this kind of thing it just I'm not a huge fan of. They could have put it
0: somewhere else Uh, i I, kind of get it from a character design perspective because vanille runs around very skippy so it wouldn't make sense for her thing to be longer and they want it to be under the edge because they only show the very bottom of it in this cutscene they're actually later on it turns into a plot thing but they're deliberately Mm -hmm. hiding part of it so they have that plot desire to hide part of it but also that general animation desire to convey that she's very like lighthearted by skipping about so it, it definitely is not great, but at least they do something. Yeah, That's not for nothing.
2: But at, at the time when you first see it, you go like, oh <laughs> Um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So the party members I found them surprisingly nonplussed about being branded Lassie. They just kinda go, Oh, I guess we're Lassie now. All right. Let's go find out what our focus is. I think they're supposed to be
0: shocked about it because like they all get their own, like, real unique brand about, of
2: nihilism about it, like,
0: not too yeah. long
2: from now. Yeah, it's just, it's funny because you'd think they probably haven't seen a Lassie or know what a Lassie really looks like, or, you know, it, They were figures of legend and myth and propaganda, of course, but, you know, all of a sudden they've been branded the quote-unquote enemy, and
1: they just kind of go, uh, I guess we have to do something about this. It's, like, t- way too life-changing, arguably even life-ending for them to just, like, eh, okay. Yeah. So they start talking about what their focus is, and they
2: go around in the, the group say that the fallacy doesn't spell out the focus, the clues are left intentionally cryptic, which makes no sense at all. Is it explicit that they're
0: deliberately cryptic, or that's just how they are, because it's, like, something not
3: of your race trying to mentally communicate with you?
1: That's what I assume. Yeah, it's
3: a thing common in fiction that like greater beings have difficulty communicating with people
2: i have a hard time communicating to bugs that's <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, true but uh there is a falci that explicitly talks to humans and i don't want to mention it until it comes up later but th- there has there is an in-world like yes this falci actually speaks to humans
0: all right yeah uh, that's true but later on
2: that person turns out to not be a person <laughs> right but then that Person also talks to other people, like actual people. <laughs> like, they, they, there's oh, definitely. damn it! T- <laughs> you're right.
0: You're right. You're right.
2: <laughs> so we established that that person is an interpreter. So suffice to say, it did, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that they try to be vague because ideally, the falcie want the lessee to get their focus done, and it's obviously best for the lessee to do it rather than become a seeth. Yet they're trying to be cryptic about it. I mean, I think it's more like they're trying to do that not quite a uh, amnesia plot, but like the closest thing of like, I can't really figure out what it is. You know, I oh, think real hard. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. And then it gets revealed later. Yeah. It's definitely a plot contrivance. So snow is convinced that their focus is to save cocoon because that's what Sarah told them to do before she turned into crystal. She said, the last thing she said is, you know, save cocoon. Plus her falci is the same one that cursed them. So logically, if Sarah telling the party to save Cocoon was her focus. And then they go and do something to save Cocoon They're, It's all part of the same goal. Yeah. The crew in the middle of this discussion, they all realize that they, they start talking about, did they see anything? I think hope explicitly is the one that, that says, Oh, I think I saw something. It was, it was really tough to see. And then the whole team has a small epiphany and they all recognize what they saw as Ragnarok. And nobody says what that is, but it's serious. And at this point, Saz just says, basically, again, I'm too old for this shit. And I believe Vanille asks him, hey, so you, do you have anything still to fight for? And he says that he did, but he might not have it anymore. And uh, Hope is taking this whole to see thing the worst out of the group.
1: He's the one who's actually like, responding the most like panically. Obviously, he just lost his mom, so emotions are high. But he seems the most affected by it.
3: He also seems to be the character that is most fully invested into the whole uh, Sanctum propaganda deal. Yeah, like even Zask not liking the Lissy still is not huge into the whole uh, narrative that's being strewn by the government. Yeah.
0: Well, after this scene, we get into the part where I care about, which is now we uh, get paradigms and Crystarium and we get a boatload of mechanics. And that's the part that I really like. This is the good stuff here. So we have paradigms, which are basically jobs, right? Each party member has multiple of these jobs. You uh, press a shoulder button to switch between them mid battle. Basically, there are three classes per character, I think, for most of the game Uh, You set up groups of classes. You pick classes for each character outside of battle, and then within battle, you switch between these sets. Each role has its own levels and skills, and only the techniques carry over across classes. Uh, With roles, we have the commando, which uh, does dramatically more damage than the other roles, and uh, when a commando hits an enemy, their chain meter decays slower back towards zero, Ravagers do a lot of magic. They build the meter very quickly, but it doesn't hold. So you need to, you want to pair Ravagers with Commandos to build meter quickly and keep it from decaying. Uh, Medic does basically curing, healing, uh, status removal later on. Sentinel, which is uh, your tank, it draws aggro, has high defenses. They can counterattack, and later on they get their own self-healing. Notably, though, they are locked out of doing anything else for a while, even if you cancel the rest of their queued abilities, just because their abilities are, I'm going to guard for 10 seconds. You get Synergists, which cast buffs. Hope does this, but you don't get to play him right now. You don't get to change your party yet. And then we have uh, Saboteurs, which cast debuffs, and we haven't seen that role yet either. All roles give bonuses that carry over to everyone else in the party, and, uh, when you create your different loadouts of roles, they all have like very good names. Uh, there are a lot of them actually, uh, like a, a Sentinel and a Ravager and a Ravager is the like labeled mystic tower. All this stuff is very good. And I'm way into this and we'll talk more about it later.
1: Yeah. After every battle, you earn Crystarium points, which are spent in a Saphir grid like system. Not every character has access to all the classes at the start, like all the roles. Um, this is basically used for party composition challenges during the first half of the game. Yeah, so
0: the problem I have with the CPE is that there's not enough UI built up around it other than this giant menu. Uh, because Level It Up is the best, and I am a disgusting min-maxer in any game where you have stats and can manipulate them. Every battle, basically every other battle, every three battles, I wind up going into the crustarium and checking to see if I can level anyone up. And it would be just nice to say that, like, hey, when I get enough points to get anything in any tree, flash up a thing like the data log, and I would not have to check every time, like I compulsively
3: do right now. Or even just a flash post battle over the character portraits or character frames, just to let you yeah, know sure. that you're not going to waste time by anything by a single little
2: uh, segment of light line.
3: Thirty six <laughs> points, got to go spend that. Right.
0: I mean, and me.
2: also part of the problem with the Crystarium for me is. You could spend points without getting the next orb. Yeah, no, that's bad. And so like, yeah. if you misjudge how much you have, you could say, oh, I was like 10 points short, which means I could have used that to buy a cheaper one and have that on hand. But oops. Oh, so which they solve that, can.
0: but in the incorrect way. They tell you how much you need to get to the next thing, but they only show it to you if you go to the thing you're working toward Mm-hmm. It should be, in terms of UI, I'm on the one I already have, and it should tell me how much to get to the next one, not
2: the other way around. That
3: would be problematic, though, in the branching segments.
2: Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that's I true. just think you shouldn't be allowed to spend your CP that wouldn't get you to the next node. Because there's no point to doing that. Yeah, but at that point, then they come down to, why isn't this just a sphere grid? <laughs> fair, fair. This
3: probably was chosen to kind of show more progress in between battles rather than just picking out of a tree. It makes it very frustrating because uh, as you go through the game,
0: you get your Crystarium quote unquote levels up, which basically means you just have uh, because it's like divided into flat planes that stack on top of each other. And uh, what I've noticed is that there are big planes that have a bunch of abilities and then there are small ones that are just stat nodes And if a plane has no abilities on it, it costs like twice as much for no reason.
3: Which at the point where uh, they introduced the uh, new planes, I started to get a little bit paranoid towards progressing in any uh, particular role. Just because I'm wondering if it'll be completely useless for the character come three planes later. Yeah, all your abilities for hope right now are
2: hyper expensive. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, here's some stats. You know, one of the things about this game is that especially this early section, it's so prescriptive. You should be fighting every battle that you come across. You shouldn't be skipping battles because otherwise you'll be underleveled, but you also can't overlevel because the Crystarium is, you max out the Crystarium before you face the next boss. You know, they, they don't want you to just grind it out and be very overpowered. But I think that's what ends up happening with the cost being so different between different roles or different characters or different roles for different characters. Like, they want to be guiding you towards these particular particular roles, and that, that's just the way they decided to, to control the difficulty. Because there isn't, you know, I don't think Final Fantasy's ever had a difficulty slider, have they?
1: Mm, nope. I don't think so, no. I
2: think Lightning Returns has easy mode, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. But that's, that's a tri-ace game. <laughs> Masquerading as a, as a Final Fantasy. It's a better one. I won't disagree. I mean, sure, but I haven't played it, so I'll let you know when I get there. Anyway. Yeah, the Crystarium's a... It's fine, I just spend too much time in the menu between battles. Like, I wish they would just say, okay, you get to a save point, now you can spend your CP, just so that you can just dump it all at once, instead of, like, thinking every two battles. Oh, there you go, that's a good idea. That would probably be great pacing, too.
1: That's kind of how I do it. Yeah,
2: I'm always trying to rush to the next ability. I always prioritize abilities over, over everything else, because it just opens up, your possibilities yeah and i'm so i'm always trying to get to the next thing or to get another accessory slot because those are huge yeah the hyper coveted mm-hmm.
1: accessory node was about what i was, was about what i was gonna say <laughs> cp is earned by all party members even ones that are not currently present which is hilariously relevant later
0: oh yeah for sure also it includes one includes party members that die which i found if a party member died And I thought I could finish the battle, I had zero incentive to revive that person. Because they're gonna get fully healed for free and they're still gonna get experience. So
1: why waste the why do it? Save yourself a Phoenix down. Actually right now the battle party is lightning, snow, and vanille. Hope is like in the menu, he's in the camp menu, but you have no access to him. You can't even switch him in. Which is actually like a criticism of this game, is that like you can't even change your party
0: notably though like when you get into your battle uh did we talk mentioned that everyone else gets a new section of atb meter except for uh yeah Linial?
1: oh we forgot that <laughs> but that's what's that's what happens yes. when they turn to lissy
0: i don't really think it's a spoiler but between uh between the tattoo thing and if you notice this you basically have a big plot twist that you know already
2: yep
3: mm-hmm. yep So at this point, the party uh, travels through more of Lake Brescia, and they talk amongst themselves about their focus, trying to come to uh, some conclusion and talking more about how they are sure they saw Ragnarok in their vision. A lot of them think that the uh, Felsea is trying to lead them to destroy Cocoon, but Snow is just hard on the idea that they have to save Cocoon. And he thinks that Sarah's focus, as we said earlier, was just to bring them all together for this purpose. Although it hasn't been mentioned in-game, the data does state that Ragnarok was the reason uh, Cocoon's shell ended up cracking, giving it its cool design that it has now.
0: I wish I had read that data log. <laughs>
3: yeah. And while they are uh, chatting and running along, they are ambushed by Psycom soldiers, and Lightning is just a total badass as she clears through them, disarming several. Later on in the level, they find Russian bass. I think
2: that's how you pronounce it. Russian bass. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Russia,
3: which uh, are a bit tougher, and they're the first enemies that I really struggled with in this game. Like this is where I started dumping potions. Uh, they end up ganging up a lot on one party member, uh, usually in melee range, and just are a pain to deal with. Yeah, they don't set you up for
0: success actually, because if I'm not mistaken, they don't give you a paradigm that is like. Commando, sentinel medic you have to make that
2: oh i think hmm. you're right yeah
0: because same same thing with like uh the next chapter the default paradigms they give you when your party changes they do not set you up to succeed
2: yeah because like every time every time you get a new party set up, they'll autofill i think it's like yeah. six out of the eight slots and then you can fill the other two or modify any of the other ones you're probably right that it they didn't give you that particular paradigm that's definitely the one you want
0: toughest enemy in the game so far like fought the military fought like failed envoys of machine gods but it's these fish man
2: yeah they look like crickets too they're they're real
0: weird looking <laughs> they find sarah right uh and i've seen uh, her crystal prison is implanted in the ground which is which is also crystal very confused by the physics of that actually uh, Lightning has a strange vision, like she's psychically talking to Sarah, and she says, this is goodbye, and walks away. While Snow vows to protect Sarah, uh, Lightning punches him twice. Who drinks this time? Everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get the feeling that Snow vows things at a drop of a hat. Like if, uh, if a girl lost her balloon, he'd vow to get that balloon. Like if it's just floating up in the sky, he's like, I'll get it.
2: Hey Snow, can you go pick up some eggs? I vow that I will get eggs for you. We will have omelets by dinner time. Exactly. But then he doesn't because he has <laughs> no obligation. <laughs> I'm never gonna
0: let that go. <laughs> so, after this cutscene, we get into a fight with the Menacevin Warmech again. This time we get a we get a tutorial about the stagger meter, and if you haven't gotten the hang of Paradigms and Rolls yet, You'll have a lot of trouble with this battle because uh, you basically have to switch between healing and defense because it has like pretty big AOE attacks, if I'm not mistaken. Or is it just like the one really high damage single target? The, the beam, uh, the wave beam. Yeah, or it has something. like wave cam. Yeah. yeah. And right. then uh, it also does, it takes like, it has a lot of hit points and takes reduced damage when it's not staggered. So it's just definitely skill check for paradigms and switching roles mid fight. This is where I learned the hot pro tip that if your whole party is taking damage at the same time, that's the perfect time to switch paradigms because you skip the animation and get to control your party immediately. After the fight, the party argues more amongst themselves. Lightning also says, much like Vanille last chapter, that snow is nothing but talk. Snow again, vows to save Sarah and Cocoon, and he'll do whatever it takes, he says.
1: Now Lightning leaves snow and the others follow. Hope is going to tell him off, but cannot find the courage.
3: Which, in that scene, you kind of see Hope click a little bit. And from his dialogue there on out, it shows that he chose to act against Snow rather than just tell him off. Yeah, this is where Hope turns into, like, a good character. Yeah, but I also, right after you leave Snow at this point, um, all of your party members are saying, "I, I hope we didn't do anything wrong by leaving Snow. Maybe we should return to Snow. Maybe we did the bad thing. So no. I just felt compelled to run back to snow. Did you? I did. I ran back to him and found him just... Did he say anything? No, he was just digging away with an invisible wall in front of him.
0: By the way, that is the ridiculous example of just, I'm going to do my thing without thinking about it ever. Like, know the military is coming and I'm going to not even going to try to find something better. It's like a, just a little metal rod that he's going to try to chip through crystal Break off
3: a giant chunk, and then then what's the plan? Which, this is a man whose primary AoE ability is a grenade. Yeah, for real! Dig a hole and put a <laughs> grenade in it! Just stuff a few of those down there.
1: Well, the party switches again, and this is kind of annoying and happens a lot, but whenever the party switches, I think the like paradigms, they reset. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they reset every
2: time. It's a little obnoxious now. It gets way more obnoxious when you can swap party members yourself. But, like, I wish the game would remember your setups from the last time they had those combinations of three, char- two or three characters. But they don't. They can, though, because they
0: dole you out new roles and then all your slots are full and you don't think to look at it at that point.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I understand why it happens. I just, I remember, especially my first time through the game, thinking, like, oh, I, I want to use Saz or something. I got to reset all eight of these to the setup I want. And it just
1: wasn't fun. There's a lot of traveling through Lake Brescia. They find a wall that they cannot pass, and lightning activates a cannon nearby and blows it open. And I'm pretty certain it's a Cycom fighter that got caught in the waves when, oh. when it crystallized. Well, that could, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I didn't check. I don't remember. Yeah, because it looked like it was like flying um, like sideways. Yeah. Anyway, up ahead is a boss battle against an alpha behemoth. Now this is a battle that introduces TP, technical points. They are used party-wide for special abilities. You can only have five of them at max. They recharge a bit during and after every little battle, and the fewer you have, the lesser amount you need to recharge a single TP. Higher battle ratings equals like a greater TP recovery. Right now, the only TP ability that the player has is Libra, which scans enemies for weaknesses, resistances, and other parameters. Libra isn't 100% effective. You probably don't have this item right now, but Libra scopes are an item you can use that are basically the same thing, except they reveal all the information at once. Whereas with Libra, you might have to cast it a couple times. Right, yeah. So
2: this whole time that you've been doing these battles, you've been trying to get them done as quickly as possible because the game tells you, you know, you want five stars because you want five stars. I think this is the biggest reason to get five stars is, I mean, the item drops, but also getting your TP charged faster if you're using the skills. We won't get skills besides Libra for a little while, but once you do, like they, they can be really powerful and they could cost you, you know, two, three points of TP at a time. I wish they didn't give it to
0: you. Libra's kind of like this weird vestigial system thing to me because it seems ridiculous that you wouldn't notice that this fire attack does 200% damage. You like your non-player controlled party members are effectively just doing random abilities to yeah. uh, the enemy. And like, what if Libra wasn't in the game? It becomes useful later, but for regular enemies, it's just here we gave you TP early for no reason basically because libra
2: for red base enemies could probably just not be in the game you don't have to use libra or libra scope for regular battles because as you fight your data log on them will clear up and get more information on them i think you what is you press uh r1 at least on the ps3 yeah. to
1: show that yeah it, like it's mostly for the non-controlled party members because like i don't know if they learn quote-unquote as they use moves like if they keep on using if they use fire and realize that fire is like not effective like the enemy has a resistance, I think they'll stop and they'll move on to like next like a next another element, same with like debuffs
0: so I think they
2: learn immunities but not weaknesses but libra's faster yeah libra's faster and it works better for bosses or, or bigger enemies if you really want to get right down to to what's effective i I don't know if your AI companions will start doing the most effective attacks mid-battle, or if it's no the next time you fight that that enemy.
0: Yeah, they only learn immunities and not weaknesses, and like you could just make it be both, and then you could cut Libra and not have to worry about TP for a while. I'm
2: just very anti mechanical chores, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I didn't end up using Libra all that much. I just kind of forget it's there, so. I just kind of roll with it, and it seems to be, seem to be doing okay. Yeah, and we found it really useful on the uh, boss segments. Yeah. So Lightning, Saz, Vanille, and Hope, they see an airship land down below a cliff. Saz mentions the Primarch Dicely and the Pulse Lassie. This is the first time uh, the Primarch gets mentioned. It was in a data log earlier. Uh, he's basically yeah. the head of the government. Saz says that people don't hate Lassie, they fear them. And uh, the conversation extends towards the Sanctum Falci and Eden. He gets the impression that Falci do not care about humans. And uh, Eden is the Falci that essentially runs Cocoon, and it, it essentially runs the government specifically. It's actually a really interesting uh, creature, and this is the one that possibly communicate with humans. Well, doesn't it also control all of the other ones? They have like that weird military hierarchy of control yeah i think it's it's the most important one and, and interestingly enough like the data log says that if you have the humans in sanctum they bungle a political situation badly enough eden will swoop in and fix it so eden is like a political fixer on top of also being the god of this of this planetoid it's a very weird detail after that they continue on there are a lot more uh, psychom troops around now And the gang starts talking more in bits and pieces about their focus. When Sarah's focus is brought up, Lightning admits that she never heard Sarah say what hers was. And Lightning believes it's because Sarah didn't trust her.
0: After that, the group heads into some ruins referred to as the Gates of Ang.
3: This section was the segment where the music kind of hit me for the first time because it reminded me a lot of Nier with the hollow sounding uh, synth and vocaloid uh, vocals in the background. Yeah, it's really good. Not, nothing much happens inside.
2: Uh, you just fight a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean, there are these Goliath class enemies in there that you've, you've fought a similar one before, but they have these like Gatling gun attacks that... Pummel you for a lot of damage all at once, and you just have to be careful and and know to switch to heal so that you don't leave a character wounded and then gets gatling gunned and then dies. There's also, uh, you see more of those like executioner type enemies, those guys that like fly around and like hover boots. Uh, you run into them as well. Yeah, this was a section where I was instead of just running from group to group, I would sit back and wait and see if I can do a preemptive strike on them, and that could be a little tough because there's like. There's groups of them, and they, they patrol in different areas. But I was mostly successful on sneaking up on most of the groups. And even, even the ones that you'll, you'll see every now and then that a group of enemies will be scripted to run around a corner out of nowhere. And they're supposed to spot you, and you're supposed to go right into a battle. But if you, like, turn around and walk backwards, like, they'll just stand there. They trigger when you're right outside of their zone. Right. And so you can back up, and you might be able to sneak up on them if they turn around Sometimes they're scripted, they come up and they just sit right there and there's nothing you can do. But I played around with that a lot in this area. Well, after we fight a bunch of guys, we go to fight a a bigger
0: guy. We fight the uh, Garuda Interceptor. It's a two-part boss. First part, pretty easy. It's just, do a lot of damage... Don't get killed. It's got like 8,000 hit points, which is kind of a lot because you're not able to really upgrade yet. But once you get into the second phase, it uses a barrier to protect itself. And in order to remove the barrier, you basically have to build the chain gauge and stagger it. And until you do, you do very little damage, which will basically be a thing for the rest of the bosses in the game. It has a large AoE attack that does a lot of damage and can KO you if you're not topped off. And after the battle, Staz gets access to the Synergist role, and Vanille unlocks the Saboteur, which is the most useful role in the game.
2: It's really good. I also, I died at this boss in the second phase and had to restart and do the first phase again. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this this game is usually really friendly with that sort of thing, but I, I wish it let me jump into the second half. Yeah, that's a big problem with a very long boss
1: later. All right, so... After you're done that boss, there's an airship docked right there. Zaz is pessimistic, but believes he might be able to fix it and get everyone out there. I take issue with this <laughs> particular
2: point because I have no, I have no idea why the ship is here. I don't know why there's, you know, there's this very ancient-looking temple that's in the middle of an area that where nobody lives and nobody's been to for hundreds of years. But there's a modern, ready-to-go airship just sitting there. I mean, maybe the army brought that in. No, yeah, you see it land before you go in. Yeah, and that's where all the psycom troops come from. Okay, <laughs> there seems to be a launching platform though, right below it. Right, like we have to set that up. It seems like something that'd be on a base or a carrier or something, like not in the middle of a of a unused temple. It makes sense to me, like
0: having, but not right now, maybe. But like when you get a little further and you see the uh, like the Calvary big ship, right, like the big thing, the launching platform mm-hmm. actually just looks like the top of one of those.
2: Okay, um, yeah. Well, and also, we I don't know if we mentioned this in episode one, but Saz is a pilot. Yeah. And the game doesn't tell you this, but if you look at his weapons, his starting pistols, they say it's standard issue for pilots, and he's dressed in a quasi-military outfit anyway. But yeah, Saz is the pilot who's going to fly this thing.
1: So while that's happening, Snow is back at Seri, still digging her out. Psychom attacks, he holds his ground for a bit, but the troops just keep on coming. Just as he's about to be captured, his Persona awakens. And by Persona, I mean his Adolin, Shiva. A mysterious woman appears and addresses the Shiva sisters as the twin sisters? Like they're legends or something? Anyway, this this starts a, a boss battle against the Shiva sisters. And Adolin battles are very special. Because they're not battles where you have to defeat the enemy, but rather you, you need to show um, prowess in certain fields to build up the Gestalt gauge. Now what the Gestalt gauge is is that it's like, it's basically just like an effectiveness meter. It depends on which Adolin you're fighting, how to increase this gauge, and how to like win the battle is you have to do certain things like maybe get the chain gauge up on the Adolin, or maybe heal, or put up buffs, something. But once you have filled this Gestalt Gage, you press like the square button or something, well, depends on which control you're using, and you basically just win the battle. Now, what's special is that these battles are timed. At the start of every battle, the Adolin will cast Doom on the party leader, so it's a race against time. Yeah, so this particular battle with the Shiva sisters the way to build up the uh, Gestalt Gauge
2: is to defend, to use uh, the Sentinel roll to steel guard and just tank the hits. Um, one of the Shiva sisters uh, will attack you occasionally, and there's one particular combo that builds the Gestalt Gauge very quickly. The second sister actually heals you. So if you're, if you're going into this and you don't know what's happening, uh, you might be trying to throw potions on yourself because you this is a one-on-one battle. And if you do that, you're going to die, or you're going to run out of time, because the gauge won't build quickly enough, so you really just need to tank this. And, you know, as, as Graham mentioned, the different conditions, they actually show up in the data log after you fight the Eidolon, which doesn't make any sense, because you're never going to fight it again. Well, I mean, do, can't you <laughs> Libra them? You can. I, sure. I think you can not Libra them, and it will it will say in the description what it what it wants you to Unless do. Unless you're on the PC version and you have the incorrect resolution and then you Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember the first time I played this, I died three or four times because I wasn't sure what to do. And I eventually figured it out. But I've always found the, these Eidolon fights really intense. Like, a, you know, you start off at like uh, 1,800 or 1,700 you know, seconds or whatever countdown. And I'm always in the last, like five to 300 before I, I finish these battles. It's just like tenths of a second, so you have like three minutes to do the fight. Even right. knowing
3: generally what to do, I died several times just because I didn't understand the uh, timing of Steel Guard in the Sentinel role.
2: Oh, so you got attacked when you weren't yeah, guarding? Yeah, I was
0: guarding
3: when, I, uh, when she yeah. was not attacking. I
0: died one time, yeah. but that's because there's no on-screen prompt to tell you to push the button, and I forgot you didn't have to fill the
2: meter all the way up. At the end, I'm just mashing square and hoping that it takes. Yeah, <laughs> um, but the the Eidolon theme is really cool. The, the, they pl- there's a special uh, battle theme. And this doesn't come up now, but the Eidolons are your summons. So, I mean, that's why it's this is Shiva. As Shiva has been a recurring uh, summon creature for many of the Final Fantasy games. They have this really interesting aesthetic to them. Uh, it's like this weird mash of sort of like eastern religious iconography but with this weird you know technological like futuristic style on them and both of them carry a wheel basically it's like a giant tire um, and when you win they do this little like scissor kick thing into the shape of a motorcycle and snow jumps on it and uh, rides them which is the oh, no, most that
3: sentence was not meant to imply a scissor that kick whole
2: thing is marginally uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is the most anime as fuck thing in this game so far. And it's it's ridiculous. And of course, as soon as that happens, um, the the Eidolon disappears and and then Snow passes out. But uh, all of the uh, Eidolons in this game are designed as modes of transportation. I'm not sure if there's a if they ever gave a reason the developers why. But my guess is that since the the Lassie squad is on the run or that they're seeking freedom, that having access to transportation is a metaphor for that. Oh yeah.
3: Final fantasy games are just riddled with
2: very direct and very, uh, intentional theming. Yeah. It's just, it's very weird to see that Shiva is two sisters and then also is a motorcycle. Well, that's okay. When we get to see Saz's Saz's is the best. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, Saz's is pretty great.
0: <laughs> well, after the battle, uh, Snow inevitably gets captured, and Sarah is taken by a group of soldiers. It is noteworthy that the soldiers do try to capture him instead of just killing him. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, Saz and friends are trying to escape in the airship, but they are being chased by a number of jet fighters, and they escape flying out into the sky. While piloting, the group watches a news report on the airship's TV, primark Disley is denying the purge ended with a massacre there's a a very goofy bit where he leans forward his afro passes through the hologram and it causes static electricity like we're advanced enough to have
2: holograms but not enough that you can't interact
0: with it in any way
2: (laughs) i don't know if this ever happens again i don't i'm gonna keep an eye out for like if you pass through a hologram it just like crackles at you definitely make it a point to make sure you notice that though Yeah, they have a large
3: lightning bolt shooting out of his hair.
0: So as they're escaping, they fly up towards the uh, Sanctum Falci that X is the sun, uh, Phoenix. Uh, This is the first Sanctum Falci that you see in the game. It's neat. Your characters do not appear to be blinded, which is mysterious. Immediately after, uh, the ship gets shot, barrels towards the ground. And the screen fades to black. This is just, yeah, another example where your party falls inconceivably far and is fine.
3: They're probably using AMP. It's AMP, right, guys? I mean, sure. It's, let's see. <laughs> it's plot armor. Yep. Which this nice. is another point, though, where my mind started to try to build the geography they were traveling through. And I fully thought they were being chased through Pulse at uh, some point instead of still being on Cocoon.
1: Yeah, the first time I played, I was really confused by a lot of that. I don't think I fully grasped the idea that Cocoon was like a like a inner planet mm-hmm. that it had like an inside. So it's like a sphere, but with gravity around all
0: edges. Because Lake Brusha yeah. makes sense to be at the bottom. Vile Peaks makes sense to be at the bottom, but all that other stuff later on very confusing. Like yeah. at some point soon, we take a we take a train based on just the geography, the train has to just go
1: vertically straight up through air? Yeah, I'm not really sure how the gravity works in, like, Cocoon, and that's kind of a big problem, is that, like, you don't have an understanding of geography when you first play this game, because there's no map. It doesn't explain it, and I think it kind of would have... It would have been better if they gave, like, the player at least, like, a good map representation of Cocoon and Pulse. Yeah, definitely. Well,
0: that's the end of the chapter. Yep. So wrapping it up, does anybody have any closing
2: thoughts for chapters two or three? I would say that, uh, well, two doesn't really have that much going on. It's still setting up the scenario, but three is where the game starts to open up. And this is where I start to, to really enjoy the game because, you know, for me, the battle system, the you know, desire to get through these battles as fast as possible and, and to solve the puzzle that, that allows me to do that I find that very satisfying. The plot at this point is starting to come together, but for now we still don't have a clear goal for the party members besides just get away from the Sanctum. So there's not really much else to say, uh, and there isn't really too many spots there that are terribly clumsy. It's a little clumsy, but it's, it's better than, say, what we saw in Chapter 1. Yeah. yeah. This is actually my
3: first time playing through Final Fantasy thirteen beyond the demo segment that they released with Advent Children. What was that? Was that just chapter one? It was a segment of chapter one. Huh. So Wow. Uh yeah, my view of the game was deeply colored by that, but with the battle system opening up a ton and the branching paths of the map design kind of opening up more, I'm much more keen on this game now. Anything for you, Graham?
1: Uh Chapter three going on, that's where I think the the game finds its footing and I really start to enjoy it. Yeah. That's all. Well,
0: At this point, we would read listener mail if we had any, but we don't because we recorded this with our first episode. So you still haven't had a chance to hear us say that you can email us at contact at lightningstrikesthrice.com with your thoughts about chapters one through six or just feedback with the show in general. And you can do that again just at the email address or through the contact form on the
2: website uh, lightningstrikesthrice.com. Yep, and we still have Twitter at Lightning Thrice and a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Light X Thrice.
0: Uh, you can see my work at christaylor.zone if I have gotten around to doing anything with that or listen to my other podcast, Magmar Sucks. Do you guys have anything to share with the
2: listeners? Um, I already plugged uh, both of my other podcast appearances, so that's about it for now. Uh, if you want to contact me directly for any reason, uh, you can email me at matt
1: at lightningstrikesthrice.com. I'll plug my uh let's play again I'm currently doing a let's play of new threat a gameplay mod for Final Fantasy seven. I don't really have an easy link to it or an easy website, but like uh maybe you can put that into the comments that will be in the episode description for sure yeah what's the name of your channel uh it's actually, I think it's just called Graham Markson or maybe double cakes, but okay yeah it's on YouTube.
0: We can set you up a thing at the website so we can probably just go to lightningstrikesthrice.com dot com slash cram.
1: yeah, something <laughs> like that. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. I'm really enjoying it. It's my first Let's Play, and I'm having a great time. John, do you have anything?
3: Um, yeah. Uh, I've been a uh, guest host on this episode. Uh, my name is John, and I co-host uh, Magmar Sucks with Chris here. Um, if you're interested in spreadsheets or vaguely Pokemon-related uh discussions uh visit magmar.sucks to find more uh episodes and our ranking lists i have let john talk about something tertiary to anime and now
0: he'll never talk about it again on magmar sucks i was promised more anime than this okay i'm sorry <laughs> uh, <laughs> what the shiva sisters wasn't enough that was that was a lot that was pretty good <laughs> you've been listening to lightning strikes thrice a pitch drop podcast check out pitchdrop.net for more of this and other shows goodbye
1: Goodbye.
2: Ciao.